Welcome to our Open Your Eyes podcast today. I hope you are having a great day. I know a lot of people who, like me, are avid podcast listeners. I listen to a lot of podcasts each week while I'm exercising or driving or just trying to make good use of my time. I want to be inspired, I want to learn, and I want to improve my thinking. And I hope this Open Your Eyes podcast can do that for you. And when we're done today, I hope you have a bit of a new mindset to think and live better. And if that happens, then copy the link to this podcast and share it with a friend. They'll be grateful you've thought of them, and it just may be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk to you about a new mindset waiting for you. The Standard & Poor's 500 is the S&P 500, and it's a stock market index tracking the stock performance of 500 of the largest companies listed on stock exchanges in the United States. And it's one of the most commonly followed indices in the world. People look to the S&P 500 as a benchmark for how stocks and the market is doing in general. More than $7.1 trillion are invested in assets tied to the performance of the index, and it is one of the largest group of stocks for index fund investors. Now, over time, since 1965, the S&P 500 has yielded an average return of 9.9% annually. This is incredible considering that the average borrowing rate during the same time frame was about half of that. So you could have borrowed during that time frame the money to invest in the S&P and still made a 4.5% net return. And as impressive as the returns of the S&P 500 are, there are other impressive investments that outperformed the S&P 500 and did it during that same time frame. And while there are more than one of these investments, one of the most famous is Berkshire Hathaway. The company was founded as a textile manufacturer. However, in 1965, it made a mindset change led by CEO Warren Buffett. The company's main business became insurance. And what you do with insurance is you retain much of the dollars collected through premiums paid by customers and invest that money until the day you need it to pay out for those claims. Well, what Buffett did was invest those assets in stocks and other securities. And he looks for value. In other words, he buys the stock or company that is undervalued. The market, for some reason, believes the stock will perform worse than Buffett believes the stock will perform. In simple terms, he buys it at a discount. He doesn't look for the home run, but rather a discounted price. So if he sells at a mediocre price, he makes his expected return. Well, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, compared to the 9.9% return from the S&P 500, have earned a 19.8% return during the same period. And as a result, the stock of Berkshire Hathaway itself has attracted hundreds of thousands of investors and followers trying to capitalize on or copy Warren Buffett. Buffett himself is estimated to be worth $120 billion. And almost everyone who knows him says that the major difference between Buffett and anyone else is his mindset. He doesn't care about whether the stock market as a whole goes up or down. He is concerned whether the company he has purchased will improve and make money or not. 
And this mindset has yielded exceptional results. And many experts have argued whether his mindset is right or wrong. And as the market went up or down, time has proven his mindset has resulted in success. Well, much of Buffett's early childhood years were filled with entrepreneurial ventures. In one of his first business ventures, he sold chewing gum and weekly magazines door to door. He worked in his grandfather's grocery store, and while still in high school, he made money delivering newspapers, selling golf balls and stamps, and detailing cars, among many other things. On his first income tax return, Buffett took a $35 deduction for the use of his bicycle and watch on his paper route. As a high school sophomore, Buffett and friends spent $25 to purchase a used pinball machine, which they placed at the local barber. Within months, they owned several machines in three different barber shops across Omaha. They later sold the business for a tidy sum of $1,200. Through his hard work, he graduated from college with a large amount of money in his savings account. He then went to work investing and working, sometimes multiple jobs at a time. Ten years after graduating from college, he was a millionaire and purchased a five-bedroom stucco house in Omaha for $31,000, where he still lives today. Now, Buffett says of investing and people who claim to be investment experts, investing may seem easy to do when one looks through an always clear rearview mirror. Unfortunately, however, it's the windshield of the future through which investors must peer, and that glass is invariably fogged. And Buffett's right. In the foggy uncertainty of the market, his mindset has served him well. And that's the way it is with mindsets, mine and yours. In the chaos of everyday life and decisions and comings and goings, your mindset can direct and guide you in amazing ways. So much so, you would think there would be a college major called mindset to help all of us learn how to use our mindset to better guide our life. So since there's no such major, let's talk today about how to find and use a better mindset in our life. First, let's go back to Warren Buffett for our first lesson. Years ago, he gave a speech in which he talked about this principle. And in that speech, he told a few stories. His first story was about a woman that he knew. He said her mindset was she knew she had something within herself, even when she had nothing. But she believed she could learn and grow. And despite her circumstances in her life, she was not limited by what was happening to her at the moment. Her name was Rose Blumkin, and she was born to a Jewish family in present-day Belarus. She was one of eight children. Her father was a rabbi, and her mother ran a grocery store. And when she was 20, she got married and immigrated to the United States. She arrived in Seattle, completely unable to communicate in English. Two years later, the couple moved to Omaha, where they started a used clothing store. She said she felt like a dummy. She couldn't understand English. But her mindset was... She wanted and needed to learn. So when her oldest daughter went to school and would come home, Rose would ask her to teach her everything she learned that day and to do it in English. Rose worked exceptionally hard in the couple's used clothing store. And over the years, she saved money. She saved $2,500. She believed in what Norman Vincent Peale said, believe in yourself, have faith in your abilities, 
be humble, yet possess a reasonable confidence in your own powers, and you will be successful. Well, believing those words, she used her $2,500 of savings to start a furniture store in the basement of her husband's used clothing store. She called it Nebraska Furniture Mart. Rose almost single-handedly grew the business to become the largest indoor furniture store in America. This caught the attention of Warren Buffett. Buffett's company purchased a 90% share of the Nebraska Furniture Mart for $60 million. That business generated $1.5 billion in sales for Warren Buffett. Six years after selling 90% of her company to Buffett, Rose Blumpkin retired only to come out of retirement in three months to open a rival store. It was called Mrs. B's Clearance and Factory Outlet, and it was situated directly across the street from the Furniture Mart. It became profitable, and Buffett acquired that business as well. Rose Blumpkin continued to be involved in the day-to-day operations until shortly before her death at the age of 104. So, the first lesson of mindset is, don't let the circumstances of today limit your mindset. And, no matter how much you don't know today, don't fix your mindset that you can't learn, but rather put on a new mindset that somehow you can learn and grow. Next, Warren Buffett was not always successful in buying companies he targeted. One was owned by Jack Taylor, who repeatedly turned down Buffett's offers. And Buffett says that was one of the smartest things that Taylor did. Well, after Jack graduated from high school and college, he served in the U.S. Navy as a pilot. And when he was released from his service, he came back to the Midwest, where he was from, and became a used car salesman. And despite being very good at what he did and earning a substantial income, he had a different mindset. His mindset was to not sell cars, but to own his business. So at the age of 35, he went to the owner of the car dealership where he worked and asked him to partner with him in a car leasing business. He would lease cars to people whose car was in the repair shop. The owner required Taylor to take a 50% pay cut and Taylor put up $25,000 for a 25% interest in the business. He purchased seven cars. He said when people would call, he would let the phone ring four or five times so they'd think he was busy, but the truth is he barely got one call a day. Well, that business didn't go well. So Jack went into the rental car business. He searched for a name and decided to name it after the ship on which he served in the Navy, the USS Enterprise. Unlike his competitors who focused on business rentals at airports, Taylor concentrated on the hometown market, offering home pickup services, which led to Enterprise's We'll Pick You Up slogan. In 10 years, the rental fleet had grown to 6,000 cars. 10 years later, 50,000 cars. And he changed the name of the company to Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Six years later, Enterprise surpassed $2 billion in annual revenues. In 2007, Enterprise purchased National Rent-A-Car and Alamo as well. Taylor's business credo was, take care of your customers and employees first, and profits will follow. Talking about Jack Taylor, Buffett says he teaches us an important principle of mindset. You rarely get it right the first time. And sometimes the failures teach you how to do things better. So, 
put on a mindset that failure is a teacher. Warren Buffett says Jack's talents were being wasted in the leasing business, but the leasing business helped him find the rental business. His mindset was he didn't worry about external factors. He didn't worry about what Hertz or Avis were doing. He just focused on how to serve his customers the very best. The same goes for you and me. We don't have to worry about what everyone else is doing or not doing. We can keep our own mindset and let every failure be a learning opportunity. Now, I know many of you have started your own business. And at times, your business has slowed or a business partner has stopped helping your team. And as Buffett says, don't let what is happening around you impact your mindset. Just keep finding new customers and helping them in the best way. And soon your efforts will pay dividends. In 2014, TED Talks was popular and in full swing. One of the most listened to TED Talks then and in history came from a Stanford University professor. She and her team now run the Character Lab. And many, if not all of you, have read Carol Dweck's book or listened to her TED Talk named Mindset. What most people don't know is that Carol's groundbreaking work about mindset began decades earlier. As a child in her sixth grade class in elementary school in Brooklyn, students were actually seated in order of their IQ. Some responsibilities like erasing the blackboard and carrying the flag were reserved to students with the highest IQ. She later described becoming increasingly afraid to risk her reputation as one of the children with the higher IQs in the class. By avoiding participation in a spelling bee and a French competition. Well, after high school and then graduate school and working as an assistant professor at the University of Illinois, Carol started the in-depth research of implicit beliefs, self-theories, or mindset. Her studies were in the core assumptions about the malleability of personal attributes. In other words, are our core attributes like intelligence fixed? And what does that do throughout our life? Well, according to Dweck, individuals can be placed on a continuum according to their views of where ability comes from. Those believing their success to be based on innate ability are said to have a fixed mindset. And those believing their success is based on hard work, learning, training, and doggedness are said to have a growth mindset. Carol claimed that these results were found after conducting a large research effort with children in elementary school. And Carol defined fixed and growth mindsets in an interview in this way. In a fixed mindset, students believe their basic abilities, their intelligence, their talents are just fixed traits. They have a certain amount and that's that. And then their goal becomes to look smart all the time and never look dumb. With a growth mindset, students understand that their talents and abilities can be developed through effort, good teaching, and persistence. They believe that everyone can get smarter if they work at it. Dweck described fixed mindset individuals as dreading failure because it is a negative statement on their basic abilities, while growth mindset individuals don't mind or fear failure as much because they realize their performance can be improved and learning comes from failure. According to Carol, these two mindsets play an important role in all aspects of our life. And she argues that the growth mindset allows a person to live less stressful and more successful because they can learn, grow, and overcome. Now, what I remember most about reading Carol's book 
is she taught when raising our children to have a growth mindset, praising children's intelligence harms motivation and it harms performance. For example, when we say, you're so smart, this says to the child, you possess smartness or not, rather than saying, you worked really hard and look, it paid off. This says to the child, my work and creativity gets results rather than my innate ability. Now, some researchers have challenged the results of her study, but here's what I know. In my own life, when I believe that through my learning and hard work, I can achieve or do something, I am significantly more calm and more motivated to persevere. Can you imagine working towards something, believing your potential is fixed? It would be almost impossible to persevere. And if anything were to be drawn from Carol Dweck's work, it would be the simple fact that it is mindset, not fixed factors or even other beliefs that help us become who we can become. So how do you develop a growth mindset, even when you're old like me? Well, there are a number of key factors that Dweck and others point to that are helpful and good, which include recognizing and rewarding progress, trying different learning strategies, and getting helpful feedback. But I'd like to focus on one that has helped me the most. It is the power of not yet. This theory is literally using this phrase often as you talk to yourself and others. Yes, you may not have gotten where you wanted to get, but that simply means not yet. With kids, Carol said the process of not yet suggests that effort, strategies, focus, perseverance, improvement will continue to come. You're just not quite there yet. Without a not yet mindset, if you get a failing grade, you think, I'm nothing, I'm nowhere. But if you have a not yet mindset, when you get the grade, you understand that you're on a learning curve and it gives you a path into the future. Dweck conducted her further research on this concept and here's what she learned. In her study, university students were primed by reading one of two specific passages written in the style of a news article. For one half of the students, their article said that intelligence was determined at a young age. They had a fixed amount of intelligence throughout life. For the other half of the students, the article said that intelligence could be increased substantially over the lifespan. Then all of the students were given just four minutes to read a long and confusing passage from Sigmund Freud. After they read the passage, they answered some questions that supposedly gauged their comprehension. But no matter their actual score, participants were told they scored in the 37th percentile. Not good by any measure but not so bad that they were truly the bottom of the barrel. The researchers found that those who had been primed to think intelligence was fixed made themselves feel better by comparing their performance to those who did worse than them. But the students who had been primed to think intelligence was malleable coped by being curious about the strategies of those who performed better. Rather than getting defensive, they adopted a growth mindset and tried to learn how to improve their own performance. You see, you can apply your energy in one of two directions, defending or learning. Because the truth is that nothing is perfect. Life is messy. Relationships are complex and outcomes are uncertain. And people, including me and you, are irrational. When we direct our energy towards growth or not yet, we avoid getting sidetracked by what's happening around us. 
You know, in the scripture, Jesus teaches a principle to John using the culture of the day in which they lived. And he said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. You see, in Jesus's day, people used animal skins like goat skin for storing liquids and fermented drinks like wine expanded. And since an old wine skin would already be stretched to its limit, the new wine would tear the seams if it was put into old skins. What was being taught is that Jesus was trying to do something completely new. And if John or anyone else tried to make sense of it through the lens of old expectations, they'd miss the amazing things that were happening around them. The same goes for you and me. We can change our life through new actions and habits for sure. But what must change at the same time is our mindset. If you put new actions, no matter how good they are, into your old way of thinking, soon your results will be limited at best. Now, this is a principle that is core to our Open Your Eyes initiative, that actions must be accompanied by a new view. In Mark chapter 10, we read the story of blind Bartimaeus, who sat by the highway side begging. Now, in those days, we believe that beggars in Jericho wore a garment with a special insignia that certified their pitiful condition to be genuine and gave them license to beg. And if you had the insignia on your garment, you could beg without retribution from others. Well, Bartimaeus wore such a garment. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth who was walking nearby, he cried out saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And when he was told to be quiet, Bartimaeus cried even louder. After his undaunted demonstration of faith, Jesus called to the blind man. And the scripture says, and he, Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus threw off his garment, knowing he would never be a beggar again. In other words, he left his old identity, his old way of thinking behind, and this led to the miracle of his receiving his sight. Now, do you think this is true for you and me? Do you think God's favor is waiting for us to put on a new mindset? I do. You may be going through a health challenge right now and seeking God's favor and helping you recover. And I believe your faith will help for sure. But perhaps there's a reason you are dealing with this health challenge. And if your mindset included coming to God and trying to learn what it is that you're meant to learn, your journey to health will be significantly more rewarding. And the truth is that you can't have a new life with old thinking. When we put on a new mindset, life's obstacles that we have perceived go away. And that happens when your mindset changes. And I believe that God's favor is waiting and there for all of us. But that favor is obtained in part by how we see him and our mindset we use to turn to him. Again, in the scripture, Peter and John were walking into the temple one day, and it was time for prayer. As was tradition, each day a certain man was carried to the gate of the house of God. And on that day, the man placed there had never been able to walk. He was there begging for money from those who were going in. He asked Peter and John for money when he saw them going in. And Peter and John looked at him and Peter said, look at us. The man who could not walk looked at them. He thought he would get something from them. And Peter said, I have no money, but what I have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. 
Peter took the man by the right hand and lifted him up. And once on his feet, the bones in his legs became strong and he jumped up and walked. And he went with them through the gate. All the people inside saw him walking and they knew it was the man who had been sitting and begging at the beautiful gate. And all the people were surprised and they started to gather around Peter and John. And that day, thousands would follow Peter. Here's the point. Here was this man at the gate, and he's like you and me, unable to walk forward in life. You and I may have fallen short, our businesses stalled, our faith diminished, our challenges too immense to move. And Peter says to him, get up and walk. Our mindset often is that we can't. We've tried. But God says, leave behind your excuses. Put on a new view and get up and walk. There is a mindset like that, that changes everything. And it is trusting that heaven has something wonderful in store for you. And I believe that mindset is one of the most powerful ways we change and grow. And most of all, live calmly with less anxiety in times in which we're failing or needing to change. You know, one author told a story about the power of peace and mindset. He said, in the beautiful hills of Pennsylvania, A devout group of Christian people live a simple life without automobiles, electricity, or modern machinery. They work hard and live quiet, peaceful lives separate from the world. Most of their food comes from their own farms. The women sew and knit and weave their clothing, which is modest and plain. They're known as the Amish. The 32-year-old milk truck driver lived with his family in their nickel mines community. He wasn't Amish. But his pickup route took him to many Amish dairy farms, where he became known as the quiet milkman. A few years back, he suddenly lost all reason and control. In his tormented mind, he blamed God for the death of his first child and some unsubstantiated memories. He stormed into the Amish school without any provocation, released the boys and adults, tied up ten of the girls. He shot the girls, killing five and wounding five. Then he took his own life. This shocking violence caused a great anguish among the Amish. There was hurt, and there still is today. But their mindset has helped them in ways that are amazing. Believe it or not, after the shooting, there was little or no hate towards the shooter or his family. The forgiveness of the Amish was immediate. Collectively, they began to reach out to the milkman's suffering family. As the milkman's family gathered in their home the day after the shooting, An Amish neighbor came over, wrapped his arms around the father of the dead gunman, and said, We will forgive you. Amish leaders visited the milkman's wife and children to extend their sympathy, their forgiveness, their help, and their love. About half of the mourners at the milkman's funeral were Amish. In turn, the Amish invited the milkman's family to attend the funeral services of the girls who had been killed. A remarkable peace settled on the Amish as their faith sustained them during this crisis. One local resident very eloquently summed up the aftermath of this tragedy when he said, We were all speaking the same language, and not just English, but a language of caring, a language of community, and a language of service. And yes, a language of forgiveness. It was an amazing outpouring of their complete faith in the teachings of, Do good unto them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. The family of the milkman who killed the five girls released the following statement to the public. To our Amish friends, neighbors, and local community, 
Our family wants each of you to know that we are overwhelmed by the forgiveness, grace, and mercy that you've extended to us. Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. The prayers, flowers, cards, and gifts that you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. Please know that our hearts have been broken by all that has happened, and we're filled with sorrow for all of our Amish neighbors whom we have loved and continue to love. We know that there are many days ahead for all the families who lost loved ones. So we will continue to put our hope and trust in the God of all comfort as we all seek to rebuild our lives. How could the whole Amish group manifest such an expression of forgiveness? It was the mindset created by faith in God and trust in his word. Now, this doesn't mean that people in similar situations should be blamed for their grief or desire for justice. But it does speak to the peace created by mindset. When you put on a new mindset, you can stick to your faith, your thinking, your actions with confidence. You can say, I will remain and try and give because this is the way I see the world. And a new mindset may be what you need today. The challenge that you're facing needs a new mindset to hold you to your new actions that are coming as you rise to walk into a beautiful life that is waiting for you. Perhaps that mindset is as simple as, with your faith, your hard work, your perseverance, and a little help from heaven, you can do what you are trying to do. May God bless you in your challenges. May you feel more confident in a good outcome. And may you see things with new eyes to help you be calm and persevering in your work. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And be sure to join us next week as we look to open our eyes to who and what we can become.